Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Dell Wamsley. Welcome to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're going to talk about something completely different. We're going to talk about the economy and how quickly it may or may not snap back. And I'm doing this piece today because someone sent me a very good piece by a gentleman. I want to make sure he gets 100% credit for a lot of the material. Most of the materials coming out today, I, of course, will infuse my belief system into it also. But the gentleman's name is Peter Linneman. And he's an economist, and he puts out a thing called the Linneman Letter. And from what I heard listening to a short piece by this gentleman, he seems to have a very good understanding of the way the world is working. Currently, the gentleman's 69 years old. He's been an economist for you know long time. University of Chicago graduate, Central Catholic High School graduate, Ashland University graduate. He's got the background. The thing is, though, is that a lot of people have education, a lot of people have economic backgrounds, but they don't get what's really going on, nor can they explain it in human terms. And he was being interviewed by a guy, quite honestly, which was really a terrible, terrible interviewer, because what he was trying to do was show how much smarter he was than Peter Lineman. I don't remember the guy's name. I'm not even going to look it up because it's irrelevant. But he was talking in all these big terms and numbers and $27 trillion and $16 trillion and 42%, 112, 5% up, 2% down. And if you're anything like I am, and I think most people listen to the show are pretty much like I am, none of that stuff means anything to you. You know, what it means is what what's important is what does it mean at the sidewalk level, at my front door level? And my refrigerator level, what does it mean? Where's the economy going? What do I have to look forward to? Now, I'm also involved in a lot of real estate investing. I think some of you have heard this before. Laugh, laugh, joke, joke. I've been doing it for 30 years. And I'm still currently investing in real estate. In fact, I closed a deal just yesterday. Got another one closing tomorrow. So I'm buying real estate deals out there, guys. I'm out there doing it right now. So if you think that there's no good deals out there, think again. There are deals out there. You just have to be out there looking hard and working hard and working through the process to get to the ones that work. Now, having said that, let's get back to what I wanted to talk about this Peter Lineman guy. He coined a phrase called a butterfly recovery. And I'm trying to take this down to human terms and say, think of the way a butterfly floats through the sky. It kind of just flitters up and flitters down and flitters across and so on. And if his metaphor is meant to be exactly like the flight of a butterfly, what he's really saying is the economy is going to go up, go down, go sideways, flutter around, etc., etc., etc. There's no direct lineage up, direct lineage down that he sees during this butterfly recovery. So we need to discuss what does he believe the butterfly recovery is from. He talks about the fact that this pandemic comes along and all of a sudden the government is saying to you, you can't work. 
you can't open a business. You can't open your business. You have to close down. And also scaring the death out of you that you're going to die if you don't. So now we've got a country full of people that aren't working and a country full of people that are scared to death. What happens to the economics of the country during that time? Well, obviously, the consumer consumption goes way down. You think about restaurants, hotels, travel, all that type of stuff is just basically gone. So we're losing some percentage of our total economy just gone, just completely gone. And so we dropped down to 16% unemployment, I believe is the low that I remember reading the other day. And we went through it. We fought it out and the government came back and said, you know what? We're in a situation where we have created victims. It's not their fault victims. I mean, victims that have done nothing to be in the position they're in. People didn't lose their jobs because they didn't get up and go to work. They didn't lose their jobs because they did a poor job at work. Businesses didn't shut down because they did a poor job of serving their customer or didn't get the economics of their product right. All of the normal reasons that an economy would go crashing down had nothing to do with this economy crashing down. Massive amount of money is available. The government this time, instead of 2008, realized that if you're going to have a recession, if you're going to have this kind of a problem, unemployment, you need to pump the entire economy with as much money as you possibly can, and they've pumped trillions in. I'm not going to quote all the numbers these guys were quoting back and forth at each other because it's irrelevant. You know, the government's just been throwing money at the problem for about a year and a half, two years now. Maybe even more than that, but at least that. And so we know that there's this money out there, and because the money was out there, we limped through survival. Now, as I said yesterday, if you would listen to my show, We've talked about the fact that we didn't really, most of us, die. We limped. We slowed down a little bit. But then we've come back. And we came back because of the stimulus packages, because of the PPP. These guys did it right this time. They didn't let the bottom fall out of the economy. And so just as soon as they started lowering the rate of growth of the virus, then the economy started picking back up. And that happened until we came to summer. We got through summer, and then it started to get cold again. And, you know, they said it was going to go through the roof during the winter. And, of course, it did. They knew it was going to happen. They told us it was going to happen. And it happened. Right? That's the way the flu works. And this is a form of flu, I believe, the virus. And we now have this situation, what he brought up. And I thought that was a very interesting observation. He said... The reason that the economy could not come back completely and will not come back completely for quite a while is this. We still have governments around the country, city, state, county, local, telling people they can't open their businesses. They can't open past a certain amount of time. They can only serve a certain number of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's still control there, right? But secondly, you now have an entire electorate of people. The entire economy is filled with people skeptical of going out. I wouldn't get on a plane right now. This guy said he had not gotten on a plane. He used to fly all the time. He goes, well, it's my age. I'm 64 years old. Do you think I want to risk getting on a plane? Do you want to risk going to a baseball game, football game, this whatever game? It doesn't really matter. I'm not going. Why? I don't want to die. And so he, he made this point that was so, I would say, sound and human felt that You now have a double-edged sword here. 
The double-edged sword is the government still doesn't want you to open your business, still wants you to shut down and protect everybody, and you yourself, even if they would let you go, might not go to a basketball, football game, baseball game. You might not even go, even though you they might open up the airlines. You might not even still be willing to go. That's the real challenge. So he says, because of these two reasons, we have a couple of issues here. The first issue is we have all these people with no money. They've lived out all their savings. They've taken all their unemployment, and they need more money. And the government is and should be required to give them that money since they took that money away from them. Now, you say, why? Because they, being broke with no jobs, cannot go borrow enough money to survive. On the other hand, the government, and this is a great point you made, the government can borrow as much as it wants. It can make as much money as it wants to make, and no one will stop it. So what does that mean? Bottom line, the government needs to borrow the money, create the debt, and give it to the people to live on. Now, from the files of Del Wamsley. There are things that work and things that don't work. There are theories about how finances and how they work and how you should handle your life and your financial life. Then there are rules and beliefs about specific investments. I have both. I have a core level belief system that I obtain from education and other people. That's a core basis. On top of that core, I built another core level, which is the school of hard knocks investment world of what really works and what doesn't. Starting with losing money in the stock market when I was a kid, losing money in limited partnerships when I was a kid, losing money in oil wells when I was a kid. I did all these other things. There were all things that everybody else said to do, and I lost money in almost all of them. So all of these people, almost everybody I know and knew, especially then, everybody I did know, were into conventional investing. And conventional investing didn't retire any of them. Not one single person have I ever met who retired because they made it big in the stock market. Now, I've met people that made a lot of money, very high-paying jobs, who put a lot of money in the stock market and ended up being able to retire with a lot of money in the stock market. In fact, there's a saying now, the fastest way to make a million dollars is to take two million and put it in the stock market and let it go down to a million. We'll be right back with the Del Wombly Radio Show. the effects of what happened in 2008 and you compare it to what we are hopefully coming out of right now, real estate has definitely shown its resiliency. It has provided for people not only a place to live, but a place to work, a place to raise their children, a place to teach their children, a place to prepare all of their meals. And that's really where the rubber meets the road, is that there are are two things that people have to have, and they strive very hard to have them. And that's a roof over their head and food on the table. And if you are investing in something related to either of those two things, you are going to have a winning strategy. And in addition to that, you're providing something of value to the people around you. And creating a win-win situation while creating wealth and passive income for yourself is the best 
life you can get. Real estate is resilient. You should have real estate in your portfolio. Join us for the next live online free workshop. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time. Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're discussing Peter Lindman's theory of the butterfly recovery, which is a soft, floating, but never really get there recovery type situation. His next theory is that we have a period of time before this stuff really goes away. And they came up with some statistics that were, you know, pretty good. But what it basically said was, at this rate of people becoming inoculated, he's saying that, first of all, even if you got an inoculation right now, you're not actually going to be immune for another 30 days, okay? So then he said, how long is it going to take to get all these people or a preponderance of people inoculated? and be able to have a tipping point in that situation. He comes up with anywhere from July to August of this year. I don't know if that's relevant or not. I don't the way it's going so slow. I don't know if even then will happen. But that's the number he came up with, and he's an economist, and I'm just a guy that buys real estate. So we'll, we'll live with that. So by August, enough people should be inoculated. Then he says, now there's still the, the layover of, okay, has the economy come back yet? And... When you look at it and you say, well, we're at 6.5% unemployment right now, and I remember back during the Obama days, it never got any better than 65 I remember back when I was in high school and they were teaching us economics that 6% unemployment was what we called full employment, which meant if you had any more employment than 6%, you would have inflation because you would have more jobs chasing less people and less people would demand to get paid more money because there weren't enough people to fill the job. So they never wanted employment to go below 6%. That was called full employment. So now we've gone through a period where it got down to less than 4% at one point, And now we, we're not happy with 6.5%. But rolls in Biden. Biden, on the other hand, is a Keynesian. And from what I can remember from high school, Keynesian theory is it's the bottom-up theory. The Republicans believe in the money from the top down, and Keynesians believe, and Democrats believe, the money from the bottom up. So you give all the programs, you, you flood the economy with money. How do you do that? Well, you have stimulus packages, you have more PPP, you have direct payments to people. You have rent relief for people. You have additional welfare, food stamps, child support type things. Uh, I never had a baby and used any of them, so I don't know all these things. But, you know, your kid can get food. You can get clothes. There's all these different things. There's money you can get if you have kids. So there's all this relief. There's school relief. There's this, that, whatever. Flood the bottom people in our society with money. And they will go spend that money. Where if you give a dollar to a rich guy, he just sticks it in the bank of savings. And, you know, there is truth to that. I myself believe there's truth to that. The money should go to the people that need it because they will spend it. Now, what happens to it after they spend it? Unfortunately for the Keynesians, it goes right back to the rich people because they spend it in the businesses of rich people. So now, as that goes on, the rich people still end up with all the money. So rich people don't complain that they're giving your money back to the poor people. Because the poor people aren't getting rich by getting your money. The poor people are getting your money so they can spend it in your business to keep your business thriving. The theory is that 
the richest of everybody should pay the most taxes is why we have the type of tax plan we have. We don't have flat tax. We have a tax that is progressive. The more you make, the higher the tax rate you're in. So people at the top complain about that. I don't. I don't have any problem with paying taxes. Why? Because there are ways that you can avoid taxes as of right now, which is to own real estate. Why? Because they need places for people to live. And if they don't make that an interesting and effective investment for people, then there wouldn't be any housing. The government tried creating housing. All it did, it created slums in New York, slums in Chicago. Every place they built government housing like the Russians did, it turns into slums. You cannot put all the poor people together in a artificially developed city and expect they won't tear the place to pieces. So then they came up with the idea, okay, for HUD, we will take and give everybody housing vouchers so they can go out into the world and find places to live to spread them out so they don't all end up at one school district, so we don't have all of our problems in one part of the city, all of our problems in the same schools, et cetera, et cetera. So HUD came up and said, let's spread them out. Problem? Most people won't take HUD vouchers. Only the slumlords would take HUD vouchers. So what is the next thing Biden has to do? You can see, I'm telling them it's coming. They're going to make it mandatory that you take housing vouchers. What they'll do is they'll make it discriminatory to discriminate on how people get the money they're going to pay you. In other words, you can't say that this kind of earning, this kind of income, or this kind of subsidies are not the same. If the person has the money to pay you, they have the money to pay you. And if they have a direct payment to you, they have the money to pay you. They may not have enough money to feed their kids. They may not have enough money to pay their bills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they've got the money to pay you, so you can't turn them down. That's going to be the next thing they're going to pass. I'm just telling you. Because then they'll be able to take this Keynesian theory and spread these people out all over the country. Why do they want to do that? Because it's probably better off that spread out the poverty in this country, but also because they spread out the Democratic power base to all over the country. It's going to happen. Elections have consequences. The Democrats control everything. So they're going to look at it from their point of view, the Keynesian point of view, right? So a lot of this is my theory, not Peter Lindemann's. But I just wanted to add it on there because it all comes about with what he's saying about Biden and the Keynesian theory. Now, if we take the next step and go, okay, how much more stimulus are they going to need? And he came up with this elaborate calculation saying, if you take this amount of people that are unemployed and figure that with every month that goes by, X number of more people are going to have a vaccine, X number of more people will be available to go back into the economy, and slowly but surely, the economy should get better. And at some point, and this is what he says, like August, we should be back playing in a level playing field where the thing can take off and fly like a bird, which means directly to where it wants to go, whether it's going to go up or down. And he doesn't make a decision whether it goes up or down. He's just saying it will be free, free to free fall or free to fly. At some point, the Democrats are going to have to live with what they create. And I'm not even saying it's bad or good. I'm not here trying to say that. What I'm saying is that this guy was pretty clear in saying that for at least until August, the economy is not coming back completely. It just can't because the governments won't let people do it and people are afraid to do it. So the next question comes up with, if you keep pumping and pumping and pumping this thing with stimulus and more stimulus and more stimulus, what happens? This is one of the most interesting parts of his comment. We'll get it when we come back after the break. It's not just the money. It's the lifestyle. Here's Dell Wamsley. We're talking about first generation money that you make. Now, 
some kids might go out and learn from their parents how to be entrepreneurs and then they go make their own first generation money and it's not really because of the parents and some second generation kids have a good start because dad handed him four million dollars here's your graduation present four million dollars go build a building somewhere my dad had not ever figured it out but what i'm trying to get across to you is as we discuss the rules of wealth today understand they are unchangeable and they are assuredly correct and stay correct now the next paragraph I'd like to read to you is, money is plentiful for those who understand the simple laws of making money. What you don't understand is as hard as it is for you to get any money, to work hard, to earn some money, money is actually simple once you understand the rules. We'll be right back with the Del Wobbly Radio Show. Wamsley's real estate investing worst case scenario. Let's say the Democrats took away all tax deductions away from real estate like Ronald Reagan did in 1986. In 1986, we had stock market crash, a real estate value crash. The world came to an end for three months. Why? Because he took the value away from owning real estate for people who used it as a tax break. People like myself who got started in 87 go, you know, you can really buy this stuff cheap right now. In fact, I can buy it so cheap, I can rent it and make a 20% return. Cap rates were 20%. I buy a building and I made 20% of my money without leverage. If I put leverage on it, I made 30 or 40% return. Ungodly returns. Right now, you can earn less than 1% on a savings account. So do you think I hope that happens again? Yes, I do. In 2008, when the world crashed and cratered, I bought real estate 50 cents on the dollar. I said, well, what happened to the stuff you already owned? I kept it. It stayed full. We rented it. We made money. Don't let the fear of losing money hold you back from making money. Join us for the next live online free workshop. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Today, we're covering Peter Lineman's butterfly recovery. And we came to the point where the big question comes to this. He is calling for more stimulus. Biden is calling for more stimulus. Pretty much everybody is calling for more stimulus for these reasons. The people that are being hurt are not being hurt because of their own fault. The government destroyed them. The pandemic didn't destroy them. The government destroyed them. Now, we'll leave it that the government believes it made the right decision. We get that. But now the question is, what about these poor people due to no fault of their own? How do they survive? And the answer is we have to give them money to survive. We took their income away from them. We took their jobs and their businesses away from them. And historically, it's a part of the Constitution that if you take something from somebody called eminent domain, if you take a piece of real estate, you have to fairly compensate them. Well, these people need to be fairly compensated. You need to give them back their income so they can survive, so the economy can survive, so everybody survives. And before we went to break, we talked about the concept, but, but why don't they just borrow money to survive? Because they can't, because they have no income. 
They have no way to pay the debt back, so they won't. no one will lend it to them. But the government, on the other hand, can put together all the debt at once, and it isn't going to bother anybody. I heard an economist say it one time. I thought it was just amazing. He goes, don't ever worry about how much debt the U.S. government has. Our kids are not paying for it. Our grandkids are not paying for it. It's just going to get deflated away, and our debt will never get called. The only way our debt could get called is if China is willing to throw an atomic bomb at us because we didn't pay. Because if we don't pay, there's nothing they can do except go, well, we won't buy your stuff anymore. Go, okay, then we won't buy your stuff anymore. And then what will happen? The economies of both countries will go down. Everybody will be happy that they hate each other, but nothing will happen. We will survive without China. So there's really no way to worry about the debt the government produces. So why not produce more and more and more and more debt, right? So then you get to the question, well, what about inflation? When you keep adding debt and pumping money into the system, does that not create inflation? And this, my friends, is one of the best, I'd say, most important revelations that I got from this talk. He brings up the point of Milton Freeman, who is a famous economist. Milton Freeman famously said, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it is and can be produced only by more rapid increases in the quantity of money than in the output it should produce. And I just put in the it should produce part myself. So in other words, when you keep pumping money into the economy and there are no new businesses growing like right now, there's no expansion, there's nothing You say, well, there is no inflation. Where did inflation go? There's nothing's getting more expensive. And it says we currently engage in this test of the proposition. Here's the deal. If you keep pumping money in, according to Milton Freeman, logically, there has to be inflation. But here's the mistake. Most of us believe that inflation is measured by consumer price index. Consumer inflation. And what Lindemann said was, that's not the case. There is lots of inflations out there. There are prices for everything. The price of housing has skyrocketed. I used to buy houses when I first started $25,000 a door. They're now median prices, 250000 bucks. That's a thousand times more. That is price inflation. I used to buy apartments at $10,000 a door. We're now buying them at $150,000 a door. That is price inflation. The stock market a couple years ago went all the way down to $6,000. It's now $31,000. That is price inflation. Oil hasn't inflated. Gold hasn't inflated. Silver hasn't inflated anywhere near what they have in the past. But they are inflated from what they have as low. So what it's saying is when this money hits the marketplace, it seeks a place to settle. Now, here's the interesting part. It seeks a place to settle that produces income. Smart money, which I said, all money ends up in the hands of the rich and the business class. Because all poor people, when you give them money, spend it. It gets spent into the business and absorbed by the rich people, right? It all ends up in the rich people's hands. And what do they do with it? They look for places to put it to earn more money. This is the wealth cycle that I've taught for 30 years. Buy one house, 10 houses, an apartment, two apartments, 8, 20, 500 units, 1,000 units, 2,000, 5,000 units. And as you keep putting the money and the profits back in, you become one of those rich people. And much quicker than you'd even believe. But now, when you look at it, savings accounts right now, I've been tracking savings accounts for the last three years. When I first started watching savings accounts, interest rates were less than a half a percent. They were like 0.35% interest. They went all the way up to 2.5% interest, 
and they're now back down to, on average, slightly under a half a percent on the best places. And my savings account in Wells Fargo is only 0.16 for the savings account, 0.03 for the checking account. So now you're looking for places to put your money. Dividends are down 4%, according to these guys. Interest is down 6%, according to these guys. In other words, money, there's more money out there chasing returns. And because they can't find the returns, they're overpaying for the stuff that does return it, which is real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate, and real estate, period. And the stock market, businesses, period. Wherever the business is, the business of the stock market, the business is in the stock market, the business of real estate, the money is ending up there. Now, if the money keeps going in trying to buy that return, then the return on investment is going down. And the return on investment is getting lower and lower and lower and lower to some businesses. The rate of return on that investment is zero. So in other words, you may have a tremendous amount of money in the stock market, maybe $10 million, but it's paying you $2 a year in dividends because there's no dividends anymore. There's no interest. You may have $10 million in savings, $20 million in savings, and it's paying you $10,000 a month on $20 million, and it's soon to be down to probably 4000 on $20 million. So you see, there's no place to put your money. So where am I putting my money? I bought a real estate deal yesterday. I'm buying another one tomorrow. I'm putting my money where? Into real estate. Am I doing that simply because I've been doing it for 30 years? No, I'm doing it because it's the only place you can get a return. That's the important thing to understand, that money is chasing returns. So what is happening? Inflation on fixed assets, on assets that return income. They have income component to them. And so, my friends, what you're going to see is that real estate is going to go up in value. Now, if the prices keep going up on assets of any kind to where the rate of return is almost nothing on a cash flow basis, now, there is cash flow, but percentage-wise, it's almost nothing because you paid so much to get that cash flow. When that rate of return is so low, will people keep investing? The answer is yes. Why? Because the income is coming out on the capital gain side of the deal. These are called zero-coupon investments. You make nothing on the coupon on the payment, but you make money on the back end on the capital gain. And so, if an apartment complex costs $5 million today and pays you no cash flow, but is worth $10 million five years from now, you've made 100% return in 10 years. It's just changing, but it's there. The money's still there. The income's still there. But the rate of return on a cash flow basis is not. And that's where we're at right now. And that's where this gentleman, this Mr. Lindemann, this is his belief of where we're at. Now. From the files of Del Wamsley. We're talking about retiring anywhere from two to five years. When I first wrote my materials back 30 years ago, I said seven years, but people kind of destroyed that as we got better at teaching people, as ideas we had became better, the skills and the help we had became better. We knocked that down quite a bit to where we now claim it to be around five years for most people on an average that they could retire. However, the truth of the matter is most people laugh if they don't do it in two or three years. It's kind of an internal joke amongst our members. They call it the deuces or wild club. Retire in two years or less. Get a tremendous amount of joy by helping people. But what really interests me was that I always send out an email asking people to critique what they thought and what they learned and so forth. Although some of them had been listening to me on the radio for five years or ten years and Finally decided it was time to take action on it. Other people, just a very short period of time, decided to take action on it. You realize that if you listen to this on the radio and you hear these tremendous results that people have, you question yourself as to two things. Number one, does it really work? And of course, 
Do you need to listen a month? Do you need to listen a year? Do you need to listen 10 years? How long do you need to listen before you realize that you can't keep putting this stuff out there with new people, new members, new results without realizing that this stuff is real? And the second question is to yourself, am I ready to do something? Am I truly ready to make a change? That it is, number one, that realistic to do it. Number two, understanding how it's done takes away the mystery. In other words, now that I know how you do it, it makes sense logically. It takes away the mystery and it lowers or lessens the fear of whether or not I can actually do it or not. And they're so surprised that, hey, I thought I was a million miles away from being able to do something like that. I never thought I could have bought some rental houses. I never would have thought ever I could ever buy an apartment complex, et cetera, et cetera. And they're just amazed when they see if you understand the financial techniques used to do this stuff and the management techniques used to do this stuff, then you can do it too. We'll be right back with Del Wamsley Radio Show. Wamsley on the economy and politics. What happens if the economy turns around and goes back down now the Democrats are in power or inflation becomes rampant and all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to do business? I was listening to an economist the other day and he pulled out this chart of GDP. He said, look, here's what I want you to do. He said, tell me anywhere from 1950 to 2021 where the Democrats took power and where the Republicans took power. He said, point it out for me. And the truth of the matter is you can't tell. If you're sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what the politicians are going to do or waiting to see what the economy is going to do, if you're trying to predict the future, stop. Politicians and the economy have no bearing on your success or failure. Only you do. Register for the next live online free workshop. We'll unfold the map to retirement in five years or less, regardless of what's going on in the world. It's the same proven strategies we've been using for 30 years through every political party and economic cycle you can think of. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. I'd like to finish the show today with a couple questions. I get sent questions all the time. By the way, if you want to send me something, just send it to askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com. That's askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com. And Dell spelled D-E-L, by the way. So... I get these questions, and I, I prefer answering them. I, I do email them back sometimes, but generally prefer to answer them on the radio. So one of the common questions I've gotten in all different forms and shape is, why would I invest in real estate when so many of my friends have lost money doing it? And the answer is real simple. Your friends have no idea how to do it. And that's just a reality. The, the problem is real estate's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of years as a way to make money. But the bottom line is, I've been doing it for 30 years, and I've seen every real estate guru in the world. Dave Delgado, Robert Allen, Jeff McCone, Tommy Vu, the Milans, Ron the Grand, Carl Cheats, Robert Kiyosaki, even Donald Trump had a real estate training program. And they're all no good. They all teach 
wrong practices. And so people get all these bad ideas about real estate and they go out and try to do it. Or even worse, they don't even have any idea about it and they just try to do it. They just, you know, they inherited a house or, or their parents died, well, I guess, inherited a house or maybe they got married and there was two houses now, one from the wife, one from the husband. They turned one of them into a rent house. They have no idea what they're doing and they do it all wrong. Here at Lifestyles, we've been in business for 30 years. We have over 50,000 clients. We own tens of thousands of pieces of real estate and a very, very, very low failure rate. I'd say less than 1% uh, of the people that do this have had failed experiences. Now, some do. There are some people that, number one, are one can short of a six-pack. No matter what you tell them, they won't do it. They just There are some people, egomaniacs, and they want to do it their way, no matter even if they know it's the wrong way. There are some people that get into bad situations. There are some situations, you know, that happen now and then. I mean, what if you just bought something, paid super amount for it, didn't fund it well enough, and then you run into COVID and don't know how to deal with COVID? Well, you might be in a bad situation. However, those of us who already know how to operate real estate were in good situations when we went into COVID, had no problem surviving COVID, right? So there are situations. But the bottom line is the people you know don't know what they're doing would probably tell you so if you'd ask them. So what is it your question really is, is this is not really a how to do question. This is what I call how to get out of doing questions. I'm asking you a question based on something that isn't a fact. I'm telling you all these people I know don't have not succeeded in real estate. First of all, we don't know that's even true. Uh, you might just be saying that because you're trying to psychologically get yourself out of doing something that could make your life better. Maybe your wife wants more money. Maybe your husband wants more money. Maybe you want more money, but you're too lazy to do anything about it. So what do you do? You ask the question by prefacing them with a non-fact fact. It is not a fact that everybody does terrible in real estate. Number two, if you're so rich, why are you selling education? I got about three answers to that. And it's really hard anytime people ask me this question. The number one is, I got into the business, retired, had nothing to do. And it was an opportunity for me to have a way to find other people to spend time with me. I know that sounds really kind of crazy, but that's really how it started. I was retired, had nothing to do with 34 years of age. There was nobody that wasn't going to work every day. And I had all day long every day with nothing to do. So I decided to start helping other people. In addition to that, I saw it as my give back to society for what I had been lucky enough to be taught on how to do this stuff and how to become wealthy and to understand that all these other people taught me, including all the books I read. And I really wasn't somebody to write books. I'm really much more of a speaker. So I thought, let me get out there and do some public speaking this stuff. Uh, that was really the second reason. And, you know, if, if you look at this stuff, the third reason I found out later in my life was that everybody in my family, I didn't even realize this because I had kind of a strange family. But when we came back and had a family reunion when I was about 50, which is about 14 years ago, I found out that my uncle, my aunt, my great uncle, <laughs> my grandfather were all teachers. In other words, it kind of runs in my family, and it, I didn't even know it, but it's just a natural thing. I'm a natural-born teacher. What does that mean? I have one skill set. It's the ability to take the massively complicated and break it down into bite-sized pieces that the average person can understand. That's it. I've been told that a thousand times, that they like listening to me because I, I don't give them all the technical jargon, BS, and whatever, that I get right down to the facts and get it there. But I get it across in a way people can actually take action on it. Not because I'm motivational, but because I'm inspirational, because I never tell you about anything I wouldn't do myself or haven't done myself. All right, the next one. I love the concept, 
but someone who lost everything recently, how does one get going at getting a rental property? Well, let's say you're completely broke with bad credit. You're really at a very slow starting point. First thing you need to do is get in here and take some classes on how to handle money and how to start saving and how to look for places where money's at that you don't know where it's at. Because there's lots of places money's at that rich people know where it's at, the poor people don't. Number one, get the education. And then number two, realize this. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And growth in life is exponential. So when you start out and you're small, you can only buy small and expensive houses. And then you grow and you can buy more. You can buy volumes of houses. And then you can buy your first small apartment complex and then a medium and then a a larger than medium, then a large, and then a very large. But you start with one inexpensive single-family house purchased in a manner that is acceptable to your financial situation, and there are lots of tricks and lots of information. I shouldn't call them tricks. There's lots of information you don't currently have that if you had that information, you could go out there and buy yourself a house. And with that said, the bottom line is not every single person is ready today to buy but every single person at some point could buy if they're willing to follow the educational process that we take you through. Now, the more you have, and this is another one you have to understand, the fact is the more you have, the more you can do. So if it bums you out that you've made all kinds of bad financial decisions in your life and you have almost no money and bad credit, don't be upset that somebody else comes to me with lots of money and great credit and we make them millionaire in a very, very short period of time. Most people retire in two to five years. Some of these people do it less than two. Don't be sad. Don't be mad. Get even. Get started. Do something today. And remember, as we go through this process, it's not about money. It's about the lifestyle, the quality of your lifestyle. Have a wonderful day, new year, and a new president. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.